We're in this series called Kingdom Secrets. Kingdom Secrets. Kingdom Secrets. Have you guys ever had a roommate that pushed you to the limits? Anybody besides me? You guys know, and I've told you this story, but when I was in Bible college, um, the men's housing, they rented a residential home there in Santa Rosa. And so uh, over a two-year period of time, I had 21 different roommates. Now, with that comes blessing and curses. The blessing of is I got to meet a lot of guys. The curse was I saw some things I wish I never would have had to see, right? Halfway through my first year there at Genesis Bible Discipleship Training Center, uh, we had an empty bed. Again, I was in the master bedroom, and that, again, that wasn't a blessing. That was actually a curse because that meant that you didn't have just one roommate. That meant you had three roommates. So we had two sets of bunk beds in the master bedroom, all right? The house is crowded. My room is crowded. There is no room in the closet. And halfway through the year, Darren from Texas shows up. Darren had a southern drawl like nobody's business. And when Darren showed up, all he had, I mean all he had, he he got, he got dropped off from the airport, showed up on our dare, doorstep, and all he had, everything he had was in this one large green canvas army duffel bag. You guys know those duffel bags? And everything was still where you could not fit anything else in it. And so he, he hucks in. We tell him where our room is. He comes in there, and we say, Darren, here is your spot right here. And if you put it all right here, you can get it all right there, nowhere else. And so he unloads his his duffel bag and gets it all in there, and he's just got this sheepish. And and we learn over the next couple weeks, Darren's this kind of awkward guy. He's one of those guys that kind of laughs at their own jokes. You know those guys? And just kind of has that sheepish grin and that Texas accent, you know what I mean? And he just was different. And the other thing that we observed at, about that green canvas army duffel bag is that it also doubled as his laundry basket. And so over the weeks, we noticed the, the, the green duffel bag getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And my roommate Javier and I, we began talking to each other and saying, I wonder when he's going to go to the laundromat. You know, it wasn't like we could give him a couple bucks. We were all eating Top Ramen at that moment. And so it wasn't like we could say, hey, we'll wash your clothes for you, right? And so his bag is getting more full by the week, by the week. And then there's an odor that starts seeping from the bag. And our room, come on, we already got four guys in it. Hello. (laughs) We already got four guys in it. And now we've got the musty odor coming up and aroma filling our room from his bag. Not only what, I know, ew, yeah, exactly. I hope y'all didn't eat breakfast this morning, all right. The other thing, we noticed that he didn't go to the laundromat, and so he said, Darren, are you going to go to the laundromat? I said, I'm okay. <laughs> They're like, but we're not okay. We are dying in here. The other thing that we noticed that Darren would do is, started doing about the sixth week is that he started fishing 
about three weeks down in his laundry bag and picking out socks that he hadn't worn in a few weeks. How many of you know that's stanky right there, right? <laughs> that is unclean. Darren was one of those roommates that pushed me to the limits. And luckily, the Lord pushed him right on out our room too. All right. <clears throat> we pick up where we left off last week when Peter and Simon the Tanner become roommates. And it's almost as they snuck this little detail in at the end of chapter nine. Look at Acts 9, 42 and 43. Remember, Peter is, has just raised Tabitha slash Dorcas from the dead. He's just raised her. People are getting saved. People are putting their trust in Jesus. And in verse 43, there's this little detail that it's almost like they didn't want us to know about it. It says this, and it became known throughout all Joppa after Peter had raised Dorcas from the dead, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa, talking about the apostle Peter. It was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. And then the scenes change. It almost goes like this. So it was he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the tanner. What we have to understand about the apostle Peter at this particular time in his ministry is that the Holy Spirit is intentionally moving Peter out of his comfort zone in order to confront his holier-than-thou belief system that elevated Jews above Gentiles. It created an insider and outsider mentality in the church. How many know there's no room for insider-outsider mentality in the church? And it made it difficult for Gentiles, people like Simon the Tanner, people like Tabitha, the people that Peter just got done ministering to, it made them hard to belong to the Christian community. It's also important to note that this isn't just Peter's problem, it's a Jerusalem church problem. Come on, how do you know what's happening in our nation, what's happening in our city? Listen, it's not their problem, no, it's our problem, and we must be positioned to do something about it. And usually what happens is that when we have this insider-outsider mentality or an us-versus-them mentality, God begins to do a work in us. He begins to do a deep work in us. How do you know the Holy Spirit comes to help us? And this is why verse 43 in chapter 9 is a bit humorous to me. Because Peter needs a place to stay. And according, come on, according to the reviews on the Airbnb website, Simon the Tanner's place is not getting many stars from the Jewish community. You see, Jews believe that, tan was, that tanning, which was the skinning of animals, they believed that tanning was, to be an, was an unclean profession because it involved contact with dead animals. We see this in Leviticus 5.2. The verses up there says, if a person touches anything unclean or any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. You see, tanners, they dealt with carcasses and strong odors. And because of that, they normally 
had to reside outside the city. Why did they have to reside outside the city? This is where Simon the Tanner's place was. It was by the sea. Why? So that it would not ceremonially contaminate the Jewish community. How many know that's an insider-outsider mentality right there? Conservative Jewish pietists would limit involvement with tanners since those in contact with carcasses were ritually impure. Rabbis eventually ruled that tanners' wives should be permitted to divorce them because of the odors associated with tanning. Listen, and how many of you know there were a lot of tanners, come on, that experienced a stinky divorce? Come on. Peter has just finished raising the dead. I want you to see this. Peter has just finished raising the dead, and now he moves in with a guy who's handling dead carcasses, who's skinning animals in, his Jew, in, in Peter's Jewishness. This is everything against, he believes. And here comes Peter. What we have here is the apostle Peter, an insider, moving in with Simon the Tanner, who is obviously an outsider, And again, you have to allow your creative imagination to tell you this story because this is the odd couple of the book of Acts. It leads me to my first point. God will lead us to people who are not like us. He will put us in places that are uncomfortable for us in order to prepare us for God's greater purposes. You see, when Peter moves in with Simon the Tanner, his pious purity... His religious pride is confronted with Simon's Gentile Christianity. Peter is grossed out by the things Simon is touching. Like many of you, like somebody said, ew, about Darren's army bag, right? This is Peter. When he moves in with Simon the Tanner, he's like, oh, this is gross. It's like my wife. When we cook chicken, my wife hates to touch any kind of meat. So when we're doing hamburger or chicken or anything like that, guess who gets to handle it, right? She gets grossed out by dead things, right? Peter is grossed out by Simon's tanning business. He's skinning unclean animals. But guess what else Peter is offended by and challenged by? He's challenged by the menu. This is not Simon the Tanner's by the sea bread and breakfast, right? This is Simon the Tanner. What you kill is what you eat. Peter's diet was kosher. It satisfied the requirements of Jewish law. And Simon was cooking everything he killed. He was thinking about starting a barbecue business himself. The title of my message is Divine Setups. Why? Because this is a divine setup to prepare Peter for the paradigm shift God is about to bring to the church. A divine setup is defined like this. I define it like this. It's when the Holy Spirit gets you and I in a place to deal with our hangups. And listen, God wants to divinely set you up. Come on, he set you up this morning. Why? Because he wants to deal with our hangups. How many got a hangup? We all got hangups. If we're honest, we all have hangups. But here we see God divinely setting up Peter to deal with that thing. Listen, Come on, there are some secrets of the apostles, but this was a secret. This was a dirty secret embedded in Peter's religiosity. You see, paradigm shifts happen in the church when God first begins to shift things in us. 
He always begins with us. That's why as people of God, we've got to be open to new ideas and new things and what God wants to do. I mean, you know, God specializes in the new thing. It doesn't mean that we forsake the old thing. No, we just add the new thing to the old thing. Right? Hello? Right? I'm going to get to that in a minute. But see, the assignment that God had coming for Peter was going to require his heart to be aligned with the gospel of truth, not the traditions of men. And the Holy Spirit had to deal with Peter's prejudice so he could step into his greater purpose. And he brings him to a certain man. You, you remember last week we talked about God bringing you to certain people. He brings him to another certain man named Simon, a Gentile believer, an outsider, somebody who did it outside the box. Last week we learned God will bring us to certain people who need something we have. But God will also bring you and I to certain someones so they can help you and I with certain things that we don't have. This morning, I believe God has brought you to real life church this morning, not by accident, not because we were the first church that popped up on the top of your Google search, but I believe there is something, listen, I believe there's something that we have, come on, that we can pour into you. There's something we have that you need today. Maybe you came in here broken. Maybe you came in here struggling in your relationship. Maybe you came in here, like Ryan said, with a wayward child. Maybe you came in here with some kind of hang up. And I'm here to declare to you that this, you've been divinely set up this morning. You've been divinely set up. God wants to meet you right where you're at. Paradigm shifts will always, listen, we've got to get this. Paradigm shifts, everybody say change. Paradigm shifts will always amplify our preferences and challenge us to purify our hearts. Paradigm shifts. That's what we've seen here at the worship team. And I know a lot of people, listen, you're uncomfortable with it because we don't have one leader over the whole thing. Instead, we've released many leaders that are helping us bring it to me. That's a paradigm shift. It's a paradigm shift. We're not used to that. Some of you, I just talked to somebody last week, and they said, man, we wish you would preach every week. Well, a paradigm shift in the church is, listen, is to raise up teaching pastors around you so a pastor doesn't burn out. And that's why we have men of God like Pastor Damien and Pastor Jesse and Pastor Isaiah who can come alongside, and Pastor James who can come alongside me, come on and teach it like I can't teach it. They can preach it like I can't preach it. They say, man, Pastor Damien can preach. And I thought to myself, I remember when people used to tell me that. <laughs> and we've got to recognize, listen, listen, Pastor Damien, God is opening the doors of the nations to Pastor Damien. He was just in Wisconsin this week speaking to a group of pastors. Listen, we get to be a part of that. That excites me that our influence would go from this house, that our influence, listen, I would not try to put a lid in the generation coming behind me because listen to me, that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. I'm not threatened by the generation behind me. No, no, I'm cutting the robe before me so that I can make room for their gift. It's a paradigm shift. It's a paradigm shift. It's a paradigm shift, and what happens? Listen, God begins to deal with our sacred cows. Those things, listen, that we have set up before God. 
as idols and we say, no, 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 Pastor Dean, no, no, we don't want anybody else to speak. We don't want anybody else to lead worship. And God begins to deal with those things and he says, you know what? I am the King of Kings. I am the Lord of Lords. It is me that you worship. It is me that you worship. Acts 10, somebody's laughing back there. I like that. Sounds like they came to the right place this morning, right? Verse 43, and all of a sudden it just cuts to Acts 10. And the story is centered on a centurion named Cornelius. Let's read this. There was a certain man in Caesarea. I looked up the pronouncement on YouTube. Come on. I was saying it wrong. Caesarea is what I was. It's Caesarea. All right. Called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Everybody say always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision and an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was freaked out, the Bible says. What is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers, check this out, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. How cool is that? Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Everybody say, he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel spoke to him and departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from those among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. At this point, it is thought by scholars that Cornelius is a believer and he wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But he's told by the Jewish religious leaders that he was connected to that he had to fully conform to Jewish customs and practices like circumcision, come on, and dietary laws, and how many know you don't mess with those areas with a man, right? Okay, I'm just saying, keeping it honest. But I love this passage. So in other words, there was a little, you know, he, he was having difficulty. I love this passage because God responds to Cornelius' simple faith. How many know we complicate things a lot of times? He doesn't, Cornelius doesn't understand how this Christian thing works He's just giving and he's pouring out his heart before God in prayer. He's just doing what his heart is telling him to do. And I love this because he's hungry for more of God and he wants to see his family saved. Can we just get back to the basics for a moment? Can we just over the next 28 days, can we just lean in? Can we just be hungry for God just a little more? And listen, listen, instead of believing for mountains to be removed and all that, can we just believe for our families to be saved? Can we just see God? Can we just believe God and see God moving our families just a little bit? That God would actually visit our homes? And God responds to his simple faith with a supernatural message from an angel. You see, Cornelius' generosity and prayers, just like ours, open heaven, and it opens a door for someone who was considered an outsider. Cornelius the centurion 
was an outsider to experience the unseen and the unfolding of God's promise for his household. That's what happens when we give. That's what happens when we fast. That's what happens when we pray. It gets God's attention. Leads me to my second point. Cornelius' generosity and prayers created a demand on heaven to supply an answer on earth through the life of Peter. <laughs> we have 28 days left in this fast, as I've mentioned, leading up to Palm Sunday. And listen, it's important for us to know Come on, our prayers on earth put heaven in motion. And I want to encourage you, lean in. Listen, I'm not fasting to lose weight. I'm fasting to lose myself. Why? So that the spirit of God that's in me can rise above my flesh and lay a hold of what God not has just for me, but he has for this house. That's what I'm contending for. That's what I'm going to battle for. I don't want to be at the same level next year than we are right here uh, this year. I don't want to be the same place next year as we are this year. I don't want to just see three service. Maybe we're talking about launching our fourth service next year. God can do it. God can do it. My friend who planted a church in, I believe it was 2013, AG Church, Florida, started with 300 people. They had 1,200 going into last year, and something happened. God moved. God shifted some things, and now they're running 3,100 in 2019. They more than doubled. Why? They had an expectation that God wanted to release into their hands something more, and they took it seriously. You see, most of the time, it's not the devil resisting us. It's our flesh that's resisting us. And when I lose myself, come on, how are you going to know? You know you're going to find so much more. We find so much more that God has for us. And I believe, listen, this is a prophecy that I'm prophesying over this house. I believe over the next 28 days, we can put a demand on heaven to supply answers on earth to his people and through his people on earth. Amen? What I want you to see is Peter is the answer to Cornelius' prayers. And without Cornelius' prayers getting heaven's attention, there is no divine setup for Peter. How you know God had to do a quick work? Because Peter wasn't ready yet. Peter wasn't ready. And the scene cuts back to Simon the Tanner's house. Acts chapter 10, verses 9 16, you see how it begins. God has to move fast. He says the next day, everybody say the next day. As they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, which was about lunchtime. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. How many of you have been in that hunger zone right there, right? You just fell in a trance. Some of you right here are bobbing off right now, right? Peter's appetite, what I want you to see is Peter's appetite is about to confront his attitude. He's hungry, but there's nothing on Simon's menu downstairs that he wants to eat. Verse 11, and so he saw heaven open up and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending on him, let down to the earth. And, it, and in it, there were all kinds of four-footed animals on earth. This was like a zoo coming down from heaven, right? 
wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. You see, Peter's refusal to eat what was on Simon's menu wasn't about his diet. It was about his preference and prejudices that were holding him from embracing all people that didn't talk like him, look like him, or live like him. And God was putting his finger, he was about to put his finger, come on, to set Peter free so he could free up his ministry. You see, it wasn't about the menu, it was about the man, Simon the Tanner. Leviticus 5.2, or if a person touches any unclean thing, he also shall be unclean and guilty. But see, it contradicted every, everything Peter saw of Simon the Tanner's life. How many just thankful for faithful believers? Come on, they just, they don't care if you're watching, they're going to do what they're going to do, right? Because they've got a relationship and a connection with God. And Peter got to witness Simon the Tanner's freedom in Christ, and it didn't fit Peter's religious box. You see, his religious system was keeping him from fully embracing Simon. How many know systemic strongholds stem from contaminated human hearts? And God had to confront the heart of Peter in order to start changing the system, come on, that was preventing Gentile believers from belonging. There's a lot to be said about systemic changes that need to happen in our country. But listen, as the church, we have the kingdom secrets that systems don't change without hearts changing. And that's why we desperately need a spiritual revival Listen, I'm not saying to hit our name. We need a spiritual revival, come on, to hit our churches. To hit our churches, then to hit our community, then to hit our city, then to hit our state, then to hit our nation, and then to hit our world. It has to start in the house of God first, and that's what we see happening in chapter 10. God begins to tear down the barriers of racism, and he starts with the church. And that's why I'm so proud to be a part of a multi-ethnic community right here in our own city. One of the most diverse churches in all of Sacramento is right here. Come on. So God overrides Peter. Thank you. So God overrides Peter pre Peter's preferences and prejudices with a vision and he hears God's voice three times, loud and clear. How many of you ever heard God's voice loud and clear? And if he's got to tell you three times, come on, you better listen. <laughs> Two things happen that need to happen for us if we're going to embrace God's call into unknown charted territory that he's calling us into. He's, he's getting clear on the vision, guys. He's revealing things to me. He's getting very clear on the vision. The first thing, it's in your notes, we have to personally catch God's vision for a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and multilingual revival. Come on. Multi-generational, what do I mean by that? If you are 40 and above, we can't be threatened by the generation coming behind us. 
Listen to me now. If you're younger than 40, you can't disregard the generation that's gone before you. That's why, I'm, that's why I like saying I'm 49, y'all. Come on. I'm in between. God has called me to bridge the gap between the generations. Come on. Don't be threatened by those coming behind you. Come on. Listen, be, a, be the spiritual father and mother that God has called you to be. Listen, don't disregard, if you're under 40, don't disregard the generation going before you. Become the son and daughter and lean on the wisdom and understanding of the generation that has gone before you. Listen, we don't got to be threatened when new folks, listen, are getting involved and new folks are coming to our church. Why? Because he's raising up spiritual mothers and fathers and he's bringing us spiritual sons and daughters to raise up and release in this revival that I'm talking about. Multi-ethnic, God has perfectly positioned us in the most, one of the most diverse zip codes in the entire nation. And we have got some strategies we're going to be talking about that God is giving us to penetrate the oikoses, the groups. I just had a, a, a man, a Nepalese man coming here wanting to do a Nepalese event here because this was the only uh, building in all of Natomas that will fit 250 plus. Can you imagine if we just opened our doors to the nations and we just began to serve the nations and then multilingual? This is exciting for me. Many of you don't know this, but we have a Portuguese speaking church and we've just uh, actually made an agreement. We're actually launching RLC Portuguese speaking church. Come on. Come on. You want to know something else that's exciting? Come on, I just, got called by, I just got called by a Hispanic pastor in South Natomas. Come on, we're going to have a RLC Latino. Hallelujah. The second thing we have to do is we have to personally hear God's voice. We have to allow God's voice to override our fear of man. I'm going to go to point number three because I'm running out of time. A divine revelation of God's priorities will push you past your personal preferences and into fulfillment of God's promises. Peter is perplexed about this vision, and all of a sudden, he hears a group of guys knocking on the gate, calling his name. They tell him, hey, Cornelius the centurion has sent us. Come with us. They spend the night. They head to Cornelius' house. We pick it up in Acts 10, verse 24, and the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. Come on, how do you know you got to have expectancy? And God had called together, and, and, and Cornelius had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in, went in and found many who had come together. Verse 28, look at this, underline it. Then he said to him, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go in to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. God wasn't talking about animals. He was talking about people. He was talking about people. And that's what's on God's heart. God always prioritizes people, and when we prioritize people, we start seeing the fulfillment of his promises come to pass. This is what happens when our hearts get aligned in a fast, 
When, when a church comes together and they say, you know what, we're going to seek God for 40 days. This is what happens. Our hearts get aligned. There's a shift in us and doors we would have never thought of opening. We get, we get to walk through them and they're now open to us. People groups we never thought we'd reach, we now begin to penetrate. Neighborhoods we never thought of reaching are now reachable. Nations we never thought of going to become our next missions trip. Why? Because our preferences and prejudices are subjected to God's priorities. It leads me to number four, divine revelation of God's promises will push you past your personal prejudices. Acts 10, verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. How many are you thankful? Come on, that God shows you on this side of the room, he shows you the same favor as the person on this side of the room. Person in the middle, I don't leave you out. God shows you the same favor he does on the people on the side of the room, amen? Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. He said, I seen it in the life of Simon the Tanner, and this thing I seen when I moved in with Simon the Tanner, I see it right here in the life of Cornelius. And because of that, he says, anyone who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. You see, Peter wrestled with the promise and his prejudice, but God's life-transforming power continued to confirm God was more interested in reaching outsiders than preserving insiders. You see, God's not interested in country club Christianity. He's interested in our Christianity reaching those in the club. 1998, God did a paradigm shift in my life. I was very zealous when I first got saved. I actually experienced a mini revival at my high school campus. In the last probably 60 days of me being a senior, I've seen over 40 of my friends come to Christ. Amy was a part of that revival. She came to Christ during that time. Over 40 of my friends came to Christ. Real salvations. Youth group was just packed with friends that were getting set free from drugs. In Houston, I, I, I'd been saved for now 10 years or so. And I went to a conference in Houston and my evangelism, my zeal to reach the lost had kind of slowly dimmed. And in that conference, it was a conference on really penetrating different people groups. And instead of expecting everybody to come join us here on a Sunday, this conference was about, you know what, going to where people were at and joining them. I'll never forget it because it was one of the most craziest things as a pious, religious believer that I had become, that God began to challenge me about not reaching the lost. Couldn't believe my ears when I hear it, but when the conference speaker got ready to release us, right before he got ready to release us to the break, he said, we actually are not going to a break. He said, we're actually sending every pastor here to one of the local bars in Houston, Texas. <clears throat> Somebody in the back said, hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. He said, we don't want you to do anything. They said, order a Coke, 
Order a glass of milk. But what we want you to do is we want you to find a seat and just be quiet and listen to the pain. Listen to the hearts that are ready to be poured out right on that altar or that bar. And we want you to get a heart and we want you to begin to pray for the people that God has brought you to. Come on. I had to get over my preference. I had to overcome my prejudice. Lord, that bar is unclean. I'm just asking you to go in and sit down, Dean. I'll never forget it. The pastor I was with, he was actually a little more religious than I was. And I remember right before we went in the bar, he was just grabbing that steering wheel. He was grabbing that steering wheel. I said, brother, what's wrong? He said, I'm afraid. I said, man, it's going to be all right. We're going to be together. We went in there and we listened. And my friend, he was able to listen to a couple. And this lady was just pouring her broken heart out to a man she had just met who'd been through an ugly divorce. We got back in that car. I sat by another person and I was listening to them and just listening. And we got in that car and we began to pray, God, listen, God, break, our, break us out of our religious box. Break us out of our preferences. God, break us out of our prejudices, God. Break the barriers that separate us from reaching people that need you.